for the two main characters, um, Cornelius and Peter, um, we're going to look quickly at like, who these people were um, and see how they responded to this new beginning and maybe think about what we would have done, what we would have done if we were in their place. So, um, I might just pray quickly before we kind of get back to the word. So, Holy Spirit, I just thank you so much um, for the way that you met with uh, Cornelius and those with him. Lord, I mean, those, yeah, that, almost 2,000 years ago. Lord Jesus, I just, um, I know you want to do the same thing again today. So I really pray that you, know, you just be here by your spirit, Lord. Um, teach us something new, God. Um, even me, Lord. Just, yeah, speak through me, Lord. Teach me who you are. Um, and yeah, just reveal something new this morning. Amen. Fantastic. Yeah, so if, we, um, so if you look down at the beginning um, of Acts 10, uh, firstly, I should say, the one of the reasons that reading was so long is because actually this is one of the longest like, narratives in the book of Acts. So obviously the book of Acts is full of these stories about the stuff the apostles did. Um, and this is actually the longest single story in the whole of the book of Acts. And I think that's because it marks this change. So uh, the disciples of Jesus were just preaching to Jews. So almost like they were just preaching to people from Essex, like nobody else can be saved, everyone else is outside. Um, but suddenly, after this, episode that Peter has, he's like, actually, no, like, this message has to go out to the whole world, like to all the counties. And uh, so first of all, I would like to think, I'd like to think about Cornelius. I'm always bad at doing this. People like lick their finger, don't they? And then kind of, oh, this is work. Um, so first of all, we think about Cornelius, um, who he is um, and what we're told about him. So starting at looking at um, verses one and two, we're told that he's a centurion. Uh, in what was called the Italian Regiment. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed regularly. And obviously we can kind of skip over that, because that's just the beginning of the story. But if, but if you think about it, firstly, um, him being a centurion means that he was probably in charge of about 30 to 100 men, kind of in the Roman Empire, in their army. Um, so he would have been paid like five times the amount as a normal soldier. So there's this idea that actually he'd be, quite, he'd be quite wealthy compared to the average person. He'd have kind of a high standing in society. Um, but somehow, and we're not told how this happened, uh, but, he, but he and all of his family are devout and they fear God. So he would probably be aware of Jesus and obviously what Jews believed, but he wouldn't have been able to go into the synagogue um, and, yeah, he, he, probably, probably, he might not have been part of, like, a worshipping community, but somehow he was, like, a better disciple than a lot of us, or a better disciple than me, um, because he feared God, he prayed continually, um, his friends and his family knew who God was, so it seems like he was a bit of an evangelist, like, he shared his faith with other people. Um, but, but, yeah, so, again, we don't know his backstory, but somehow he's, he's met with God, God is communicating with him. Um, and as David read, all of a sudden, he, he has this vision. Um, an angel appears to him um, and calls out to him and says, like, Cornelius, I need you to send two of your men down to Joppa, which is about 30 miles away, and obviously they would have been walking, so it was about like a day's walk, I guess, to go and get this person you have never heard of. And for some reason, Cornelius thinks, okay, Lord, you know what, I, I believe in you, I believe you speak to people, and actually I'm going to go or I'm going to send these people to go on my behalf. Now, I think, yeah, it's, so that's, it's kind of, you get, we get this really quick picture of this amazing kind of unknown disciple of Jesus, or disciple of God at least. 
So, um, very quickly, I wanted um, you guys to tell me um, maybe, yeah, three to five things that we learn about Cornelius. So it could be anything. This is like Sunday school-ish. So there are almost no wrong answers, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so what do, we, what do we know about Cornelius? I think, first of all, I'll go for um, the fact that he was wealthy. That's not something you get from the passage, um, but we can look into it. Anything else? Hmm? That's true. He's a family man, clearly. And we see that again later in the passage. Anything else? Yeah. So, yeah, he gives to the poor. Um, it's a big part of who he is. He's clearly a generous person. Oh, that V looks like a U, but all of my Vs look that way. Um, yeah, anything else? Maybe one or two things. Someone in authority. And leader. Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, so I might put leader because it's less letters. Um, <laughs> so leader, he's someone in authority. Um, and also, I think he's like, to me, he's, oh, that is a K. doesn't look like it. He is an unlikely disciple. Um, because actually, if you think about it, his life is pretty, probably quite comfortable. Like, he doesn't have any reason necessarily to respond to this call. Um, he's, he seems to be doing quite well. I'm assuming people liked him. He had a good position in, in society. Okay, so that's Cornelius. Um, and we, as we move on down to verse 9, we hear about Peter. So somebody we know a little bit more about, naturally, throughout the Bible. Um, and we're told that he goes up onto the rooftop to pray. We assume this might have been like his normal practice. So Jews would have had like a rhythm of prayer. So they might have prayed a couple of times throughout the day. So that's what he was doing, as he normally would do. Um, and then he comes down from praying. And we're told that he's really hungry. And um, in verse 10, he falls into a trance. And then, yeah, he sees this massive sheep come down from heaven. And, and the Lord telling him to eat these unclean meats uh, that he's never eaten before because he's a Jew. Um, as I was thinking about this episode uh, of like unclean meats, I was thinking, well, actually, I mean, obviously, he knew the law, so he knew what was clean and what was unclean. Um, but I wondered if we would know, actually, what meats are clean and unclean. So the meats that Jews were allowed to eat and the meats that they weren't. Um, so I'm going to give you three um, animals, okay, and you're going to decide whether you think they're clean or they're unclean. So I'll tell you what the animal is, and I'll give you about like three to five seconds. I don't think I think golf instinct, okay. So the first animal um, is a squid, okay. Now I'll count down to one, and then I want you to say either clean or unclean, okay. So a squid. So five, four, three, two, one. Oh, controversy. So, it is unclean, okay? Even though it's a marine animal, apparently because it doesn't have a fin or scales, that makes it unclean. So now you know. Um, second one is a turkey. Do you think a turkey is clean or unclean? Three, two, one. Yeah, so a turkey is clean. That was an easy one. I thought I'd give you one. And this is a slightly harder one. It's the last one. So a locust, okay? So, so locusts are a bit like grasshoppers, I think they look like, um, but obviously they devour whole crops or fields. And obviously we think of them in a... We paint them in a negative light. Whether that's right or not, I don't know. So a locust. So three, two, one. David, what do you say? 
So they are apparently clean, okay? Because even though they're an insect, they have a pointed, they have a, yeah, pointed, like, a joint in their leg and they jump. So I'm not going to lie, some of these rules seem a bit arbitrary, but, <laughs> but for whatever reason, Peter knew what these rules were, okay? He knew his clean animals from his unclean, and he gets a vision of this massive sheet which has maybe a load of squid on it, or we don't know exactly what, um, and the Lord's telling him to eat this. And he's like... God, you seem to be contradicting yourself. You're telling me to do the exact thing that you've always told me not to do. Um, but, but yeah, so, but he's, he's clearly perplexed. Um, and we see in verse 19, so whilst he's still thinking about this, obviously he's, he's had this strange vision three times it's come to him from God. Um, and he's perplexed. He doesn't know what's going on. So it says in verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. So he's like you, I mean, he's probably just waiting for his, his lunch. He's had this crazy vision. All of a sudden, the Spirit's telling him that three men are coming. And for whatever reason, Peter decides, again, that it's almost instinct, like you answered um, whether you thought those animals were clean or unclean. He just suddenly decided, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to obey. I'm going to go to this place. And, a lot, and that says a lot about Peter's character, I think. So again, just like Cornelius, um, can we name yeah, three to five things that we know about Peter? So maybe from this passage, or just generally, things that you know. That's true. So he, know, he knows the law. Kind of marks him out as uh, ethnically... Um, Jewish, um, as opposed to Cornelius, who was clearly like Italian. Um, any That's true. Yeah, so he's faithful. Um, what we see about Peter elsewhere in the Bible, um, that, oh, it's a long word, I won't, I'll spell it wrong. It's spontaneous. He's quite a spontaneous person. Um, so he kind of like, he has a gut feeling, like he, like he sees Jesus on the water and he's like, I'm going, I'm joining you. Um, maybe two more. About Peter, hmm? trustworthy. Yeah, so he's so he's so he clearly trusts God. Yeah, so something I was gonna perfect. Um, gonna say that yeah. So he's a he's a leader and he's a leader in the church. So we assume that he's he's seen a lot. He's seen miracles. He's done miracles. Anything else? Yeah, that's true. So he's, and he's a praying man as well. Prays to God regularly. Um, and one of the things that marks him out for me is that he kind of seems like an experienced disciple. Like, even though, the, you know, he's having this clearly crazy day, but, it, but maybe this is... Maybe he's seen this kind of thing before, actually. Maybe he, he knows the Lord. Obviously, he walked with Jesus himself. So, um, so these two characters meet, Cornelius and Peter. All of a sudden they meet in Cornelius' home with all of these people that Cornelius has gathered together. Um, and yeah, I've actually really been meditating on this verse, not for any particularly deep reasons, but in verse 24 um, it says that the following day Peter arrived in Caesarea. Uh, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his friends, uh, his relatives and close friends. So, Cornelius, so imagine you're one of Cornelius' friends um, and he's calling you maybe like on a Tuesday night um, and he's like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? And you say, well, 
actually, I'm free. Uh, like, what do you have in mind? He's thinking, okay, you know, can you come to my house? Like, somebody's coming to, to speak to me, speak to all of us. And you might say, oh, that sounds exciting. Um, I'll go, but who is this person? And Cornelius might say to you, well, I, I don't know, really. Um, it's this guy called Simon. He lives 30 miles away. You're like, okay. Uh, well, what has he come to, to speak about? Like, you know, you know yeah, what, what's, what's the topic? What's the agenda for that evening? And Cornelius would just say, well, I don't really know, to be honest. Like, I had a vision from an angel, and I've just brought this guy to me. Now, luckily, Cornelius has some friends who clearly are interested in that kind of thing, because they've filled his house, and they decided to go. Um, but one of the things that amazes me about this story is that um, the two of these men gathered together almost with no, like, agenda, uh, with no plan. Like, they seem to be totally open to whatever it is God wants them to do. Uh, Peter goes on this day-long journey, not, having, not knowing the person exactly who's invited him. Cornelius is waiting there. He's gathered all his friends together in the same way that we gather on a Sunday morning. Um, and they're just waiting. And they're just going to see what happens. They're just being obedient. Um, and then the amazing happens. Peter, Peter understands the vision that God has given him. Uh, in verse 28 he says, um, to all of them, to all of these friends that Cornelius has gathered, he's totally honest. He says, you're well aware that it's against the law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So God has revealed the meaning of this vision to Peter. Um, and Peter goes on to preach the good news to these people. And uh, scripture says that the Holy Spirit descends on them. So God himself, God's presence, descends on that place. Everybody is totally changed forever. So, I mean, it's, it, even though, again, it seems like another narrative, like another story, like this is pivotal, because from this point, Peter's life is totally changed. Um, he realises that, actually, Jesus wants to bring his message to absolutely everybody. Cornelius's life is totally different, because... Now he's a follower of Jesus, but not just him. Like, imagine, his whole family, um, all of his friends have heard this message as well. So this church has just started out of nowhere, basically in his living room. Uh, and the future of the church is different, because the message of Jesus goes out to the entire world. And, the, and it all started um, with these two guys, totally different, um, who actually heard from God, who realised that actually maybe God was doing something new, um, and they just responded. Like, they, just, they just went with it. They thought, okay, like the wind seems to be going in this direction. Like God seems to be telling me that I need to focus on something else. And actually, they're just, they're just obedient. They just take um, the right step. But it makes me think, again, those of us who are a bit maybe cynical about um, and starting a new year, like how would we respond um, in that situation, if we're like these two characters. Um, and, and I kind of had this picture of God being in one place um, and us being somewhere else. So, Paul, would you be able to help me um, quickly? Because I do need um, some assistance with this. So, if you imagine this rope okay, as being our, our connection to Jesus, so like kind of symbolising the trust that we have in him, um, and so for the purpose of this illustration, you're going to have to be God, Paul, okay? <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> and not for long. Um, so if you ha hold one end of the rope, maybe that end. 
perfect. Um, and I'm going to hold on to this other end. So I'm going I'm to symbolise us as disciples, but particularly um, these guys. So what they might have done. I was going to try and tie it around me, but I'm not a scout. So it would just go quite badly. So I'm just going to kind of loop it. So, so thinking about um, Cornelius. So we know that Cornelius is wealthy, like he's a family man. Um, he's a leader. He's a bit of an, like, an unlikely disciple, really. Maybe not everybody knows actually that he's that devout. Maybe it's, it's something that, obviously he's told people who are close to him, but maybe he hasn't told everybody. Um, all of a sudden, you know, he's sitting here, he's comfortable, he's got his nice like, relationship with God, like it seems to be going well. I mean, we're all friends. Um, we see each other in co-op, often. Yeah. Um, that's a bit of history. Okay, right, and, and yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with this. This is, what, this is, yeah, this is nice. But Paul, so if you take a walk, if you head down towards the instruments, Okay, so if you start going. Um, so, I might all of a sudden kind of notice that, actually, I'm quite comfortable where I am, but actually there's, so if you stop, yeah. But actually there's a bit of tension. I can kind of sense that, actually, maybe God wants me to go in a different direction. Um, maybe in my personal life, he wants me to change something in my prayer life, or the way that I serve, um, or to look at the scriptures differently. I think, I, I have a choice at this point. I can kind of say, well, actually, I can, I can go with this. But actually, I might think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable. I've got my family, I've got my friends. Um, I'm good. Actually, I, I, could, I could loosen that connection. I could actually, you know, I could, I could trust a little bit less and I could kind of let God do whatever it is he seems to be doing. Um, but I could be comfortable over here. So, but Paul, if you come back, is that all right? So you've, you've got a lot more to do than, than me, this isn't fair. Um, but equally, you could be uh, like Peter. Now, Peter's almost the opposite end of the spectrum. So Peter's like an experienced disciple, right? Peter has seen miracles, he's done miracles, he's walked with God, um, he knows what God wants to do, you know? Um, Peter was, whilst he was praying, whilst he was in that place, Joppa, that we heard about, he obviously had plans. He was going to go and help other churches, he was going to speak in different places, you know, he saw, the, the, he saw the people persecuting the church, he had all this stuff he wanted to do. So, Paul, if you stay there. Um, <laughs> so, so, Peter probably thought, you know what? I've got a lot on. I just need to get my head down and I need to do it. You know, it's helped my small group. Um, I need to plan another sermon, plan another talk. I need to meet up with my friends. Um, you know, I've got all these plans. But all of a sudden, Peter might feel like this tug, actually, from God. That, okay, maybe God isn't going this way. He's not actually saying that you just need to get your head down and keep going. Maybe he's saying you need to look up and you need to look to me. And in, and in those times as well, somebody like Peter... Um, the type of personality that I probably have, um, actually, we have a choice at that point. We can turn around and respond to like, the vision, this kind of maybe new call that God is giving us. Or, you know, what? we could be like, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going. And maybe it was something I ate, like, you know, maybe it was just a strange episode that I'm having, but I know God wants me to do this, so I'm just going to plough on. But I think the ideal situation is one where you lead, Paul, right? Okay, and I follow. Okay, so you go wherever you want to go. Perfect. So, so the difference between um, those, those last two situations um, and what Peter and Cornelius actually did is that um, they, just t- they just took a step of obedience. Actually, they, they, they realised that they actually need to be close to God all the time. That actually, th- like this year might be the beginning of a new season, um, even though we feel like, again, every year is often the same, um, even though we look at the situations uh, in our country or maybe in our own lives 
Um, we see like, the decline, it seems like, of Christianity. We have friends and family who don't walk with him. And we think, actually, well, you know, I've got to get my head down. I've just got to do this stuff. Because you know, God doesn't seem to be doing anything. Nothing new seems to be coming from him. But what we have to remember as we start a new year is that God is always ahead of us. God is always steps ahead. God's plan is always greater than our plan. God's ways are always higher than our ways. Um, And often, like Peter, we're just called to follow. Peter couldn't orchestrate this whole situation himself. He couldn't save all of those people. But God was steps ahead in his plan. So can we give Paul a round of applause? He's done a fantastic job as God. Thank you very much. Um, So as we um, come to a close... That's, um, I, think, I think that's kind of the message uh, that I kind of sense from God as I try and unwrap myself. I've not started this in the smartest way possible. Um, there we go. Uh, <laughs> and, and there were three key things um, that, that I personally took from um, Peter and Cornelius uh, and the approach they took to this new start, to this new beginning, um, is that they clearly stayed close. So they were close to God in prayer, in their prayer life. Um, they clearly trusted him like they believed that actually he could, he could speak to them in a new way, in a way that um, they hadn't experienced before. Um, and lastly, they were obedient. So they actually, they actually took that step. After they had a sense that, oh, actually God might want me to speak to that person, um, he might want me to, to pray with or, or for that person, he might want me to serve in this other way. Just getting that sense that they were, they were obedient to that call. And a, a fantastic quote that I just came across um, in my reading is from a Christian author called Kelly Ballery. She says this, No matter what path we walk down, God is one step ahead. No matter what mountain we come up against, he is already climbing it. No matter what journey of uncertainty we encounter, God is 100 steps further on. Um, yeah, we heard the amazing truths this morning of the God who created all things, who sustains all things, um, who created us, who helped us to create anything that we have created. Um, but often, we don't let that God take the lead in our lives. We think we know better. We think we have kind of better plans. Um, we've read what he has to say, and we're happy to just get on with it. But actually, again, he wants to take the lead. He's ahead um, He's seen the end from the beginning. He knows where we want to go. Um, and he wants often the things that we want more than we do. He wants the, to see the healings. Um, he wants to see salvation. He wants to see um, people's lives changed and our life changed. So what we do have to simply do, I think, often is to just stay close, um, to trust him, and to be obedient. So um, I just really wanted to pray for us as we continue uh, in worship. So, Holy Spirit, um, come and yeah, fill this place, Lord, as you did um, those years ago and continue to do. Lord, I just really pray that um, yeah, just at the beginning of this new year, would you renew our hearts, Lord, and renew our minds? Would you help us to be open uh, in the way that Peter and Cornelius were open, Lord, to what you might want to say, to what you might want to do? When we feel that tug, Lord Jesus, um, of you sending us in a new direction, Lord, or 
deepen in our discipleship or our love for you, Lord. I just really pray that you'd give us um, the courage to step out in faith, Lord, to be obedient, um, to make this year um, a year that is just full of us trusting in you, Lord. So yeah, as we, as we continue, Lord, as we go into this year, into this decade, I just really pray um, that we would be obedient as you um, do a new thing, as you always do, Lord Jesus. Help us to see you, to know you, and to trust you, Lord, because you are good. Amen.